Welcome to the Go All In podcast. I'm your host, Rob Bruss. And today on the show, we've got Trey Taylor from Trinity Blue. Trey is on a mission to change CEOs everywhere to live up to the sacrifices that others have made to put them where they are today. Trey's a speaker, a coach, and he recently published his first book called A CEO Only Does Three Things. Let's get started. G'day everyone, I trust that you're well and you're working towards your goals and doing whatever it takes to break through and to succeed. Now, if this is your first time here at the Goal In Podcast, welcome. It's great to have you here and if you're back for more, welcome back. We love our repeat offenders here on the Goal In Show. Thank you for your loyalty and thanks for spending your precious time with me here on the podcast today. Now, before we get into the show today, just take a little peek at your phone and hit the subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. That way you'll never miss an episode and you'll always have some go all in love right there in your pocket. Now, after a year or so of people asking me to create more content, I've decided to create the Go All In exclusive. These are exclusive members-only podcasts where my guests and I go much deeper into mastering the art and the science of going all in. This world-class content is the shortest path to your success. So come on over and join today. It's just $15 per month, and you'll have access to a wide variety of new Go All In podcasts and episodes and content. Pop on over to goallin.com.au forward slash exclusive to find out more. Lastly, I wanted to ask if you could help me out today. In return, I'm going to give you a copy of my best-selling masterclass called Master Your Mind and Go All In. The masterclass is the culmination of 15 years of business experience coupled with 10 years in the military. This is by far my best work with nine video-based modules and more than four hours worth of training. And that's going to get you moving towards your goals and targets much faster than trying to do it on your own. The masterclass is worth $149 and you can get yours for free when you subscribe, share, and leave a review for the Go All In podcast. All you need to do is to pop on over to goallin.com.au forward slash referral to find out more. Okay, let's get into today's show. Taylor, welcome to the Go All In podcast. It's great to have you here, mate. Robert, thanks for having me, man. Really pleased to be here with you today. Yeah, looking forward to doing this one. As I was mentioning to you off air, leadership is one of my favorite topics to discuss as somebody from the military. But, you know, surprisingly, when I was in the military, leadership wasn't something that I was really interested in. And it wasn't something that was in my, I guess, sphere of influence. And it wasn't until I left the military that I realized actually how important it was because in my own business my own organization i found myself as a leader of about 30 people within about four or five months of leaving the army so it was a it was a baptism of fire if you like and i wish i'd paid more attention while i was in the army but before we get into any of that uh that that craziness and that madness today let's find out a bit about you where are you from and how long is it that you've been doing what it is that you do yeah i've been doing this kind of work for about uh, 15 years now uh, you know, never a direct path to the CEO's position uh, is what I find in uh, most of my consulting work with clients. I live in, uh, obviously in the States. I live south of uh, Atlanta mm-hmm. and uh, we live in a small town, have a really nice life, uh, wife and two kids, and uh, we just get it done down here. 
Yeah, nice, nice. How's COVID been affecting you there in the United States? As I see it in the media here, it's doom and gloom. Henny Penny, the sky is falling. Is it okay where you are? We never know what uh, the the case is at any given moment. Uh, Georgia itself is a very open for business state. I also spend a lot of time in Florida, which is relatively open. Uh, in, in marked contrast to friends of mine who are in New York or Michigan or something of that nature where they really are uh, closed down. I had a friend visit from Michigan uh, last week, was helping him with some things in his business. And the only thing he wanted to do was to get a haircut. Oh, gosh. He can't do that at home. Oh. So we made sure that happened uh, for him. And we took him to a bar as well because all their bars are closed. So we had to do both of those things to make his trip a success. <laughs> well, you know, if that's the, the worst of it, it's not too bad, really, is it? That's <laughs> true, right? That's true. Yeah. It'd be a lot worse, you know. Uh, we've been blessed. We haven't had a lot of family members uh, struggle with it. Uh, haven't had any any losses. In one of my businesses, we have a, a health insurance business, and so we see quite a bit of that. But uh, you know, just hope everybody stays safe and does the right thing. I was going to say, what about your business as well? Has that been affected, or are you kind of just rolling right over it? I've been talking to a lot of people in the last couple of weeks, and they're sort of like, "COVID? What COVID? What are you talking about? Business is booming." Yeah. It's really crazy, isn't it? Uh, so I did a survey of all of my clients in one of my businesses. And, uh, you know, we had 168 clients in that business. Mm. 68 of them um, have, uh, have uh, stood pat. You know, they've not gone up too much. They've not gone down too much. Uh, four of them had gone down more than 10%. Yeah. And all the rest of them were up more than 25%. Gosh. So I think uh, I think across the board, everyone has been affected. We, we were positing a lot larger uh, growth for ourselves this year. We, were on, we only grew top line by 8%. We thought it was gonna be double digits, but really the, uh, the coaching and the consulting that I did with so many of my clients was to say, if you stay in business in 2020, uh, that's a win and uh, use the time that you pick up uh, to make good connections, uh, good good decisions in the business, clean up some problems that you know you have and you might be tempted to ignore. Uh, and so hopefully we've we've done that for clients this year. Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt that we've all had a little bit of extra time to do some things, you know, whether that's you know, by choice or just kind of by default, really. Did you do something productive with it or did you give yourself a little bit of downtime and be a bit cheeky about it? I did both. Uh, I probably had more meetings than I've ever thought possible because of uh, Zoom, which is a blessing and a curse, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we closed our office early on and did a lot of work from home. And so my wife and I made sure to make the home uh, really an oasis for the kids. And so uh, in the springtime and the summertime, every single day at uh, six o'clock, she would mix up a new batch of cocktails. We would go uh, watch the kids swim in the pool. We would have select friends and family come, uh, you know, not big gatherings, but two or three people to come as well. So we turned it into something positive uh, for the family because we're big travelers and we couldn't do that. So every day we would spend time together that way. Uh, and then in business, you know, I launched uh, a new real estate business uh, spe uh, with a special focus. I wrote a book and got it published in the course of the year. Uh, so lots of things uh, came to fruition for me in 2020, which would not have come to fruition yeah. if the world hadn't said, hey, new rules for this year, everybody take a pause. Yeah, I, I, I was forced to take a pause in the two businesses that I have in this podcasting business. It all sort of came to a bit of a grinding halt from a client perspective, but I was still podcasting. There was still plenty to do like that. But the photography business that I have on uh, the other thing that I do with my missus, that just completely stopped. No more weddings, no more yeah. events, no more anything. So I found myself with a whole bunch of extra time and I was like, well, you know, 
I lived like 50 metres from the beach, so I was out there in the surf, I was out there spearfishing, and I was, a couple of times I felt a little bit guilty about it, and I was like, well, you know, what can you do? Just try and just enjoy life a little bit. It's not that bad. So it's, right. it's been pretty That's good, right. actually. That's good advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good just got to roll Glad with for it. you, and uh, uh, hope the missus was able to join you and get some uh, good time in as well. She definitely was. She definitely was. And the, luckily, the photography business has turned around a little bit now, so... You know, I guess it's one of those things that you never could have foreseen coming from a leadership perspective and from somebody that's a CEO. And here's, here's your first coaching question for the podcast. You got to plan for a rainy day. You got to plan for contingencies. But when the sky falls the way that it that it has, and, and I guess I'm lucky in some ways because my businesses are, are mostly online. The photography business is face to face, of course, but we have the studio here and you know, there's just not as many people coming through because it's a bit of a discretionary spend. But a lot of businesses are reliant on inbound foot traffic. And if you're a CEO of a business like that, there's no way you could have planned for a rainy day like this. What, what would you say to that? No, I think you're exactly right on that. And you know, you don't often hear me uh, quote Mike Tyson, the, the boxer, but, but Tyson says everybody's got to plan until they get hit in the nose. You know? yeah. And so uh, what, the, what I think we can extrapolate from that and take into our business and make useful is it's not so much having the plan, which we do. As a matter of fact, in all of my businesses this week, I'm doing uh, strategic planning with my management teams. Uh, so we are producing those plans because we want to know how things should run when they run perfectly. But in our culture, we have built in the principle of flexibility and being intrepid, not afraid to try new things and that sort of thing. And so when we really had the dawning realization that, wait a minute, things are different today than they were yesterday, my teams were able to swing in and I was able to simply ask the question, what should we do next? And they shut our offices down. They made it go completely virtual within three days. Uh, they had uh, people's home offices set up, secure, all of that stuff within the course of a week. And then we ran, you know, that virtual office set up for four or five months until we began to open the offices back, have them come back in and that sort of thing. And so, you know, it's all about how do you have a culture that empowers your people to achieve your results. Yeah, the ability the ability to pivot and move on a dime like that is just so important. I, rem- <laughs> I as you were saying that, I was just thinking back to a story. I remember uh, many many moons ago in 1999 when I was in East Timor when I was still in the army. We were in, we were sitting in this briefing. This briefing went on. Normally, these briefings before you go out on a patrol don't go for too long. There's sort of like 20 minutes. It's pretty basic what we're doing. But this briefing went on for like an hour. There's bad guys here. You know, watch out. You might get ambushed here. And I was the I was the point guy. I was the guy at the front of the patrol, and it was like, okay, I was listening. I knew what we we're going to do. We we're going to walk out the the front gate here, like we've done a couple dozen times since we've been in this location. We're going to go out the gate. We're going to turn right. We're going to patrol up the street, and this is where we're going to go. And <laughs> I got to the got to the front of the gate. I put a magazine in my weapon. I cocked my rifle, and I walked out the front gate, and I turned right because that's what I was briefed to do. And the boss is like, hey, hey, up, up. I'm like, I'm like, what? I'm like four meters out the front of the gate. What? And he turns around, looks at me and he says, go left. I'm like, but we just briefed for the last hour that we're going to go right. And he's like, the plan's changed. Go left. I was like, oh, 
God. And I'm the guy at the front of the patrol wondering, you know, like, where yeah. are we going now? Like, I don't know where we're going. And, you know, walk up the street. So as a management consultant, I would encourage him not to change the plan three seconds after the uh, mission started, <laughs> or at least if he had communicated a little more proactively. Uh, but obviously it turned out okay for you. So uh, that, that part of the story is good. But how many times do we in our businesses treat our people like that? Yeah, well, you know, you yeah. just got to be, I, I think what he was trying to do was to stop, you know, a dozen people getting out the front gate, patrolling up the street, and, you know, they're sort of, we're spread out over 100 metres, and he's going to turn us all around and get us going the other way. So he stopped that before <laughs> it happened, and, and he pivoted, okay, you know. Point. Yeah, yeah, he pivoted there. a pivot early on, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's let's uh, let's get into this go-all-in story. We'll be right back after this short message. Hey there, Rob Russ here, and thanks for tuning into the show today. If you like what you're listening to here on the podcast, then I'd like to invite you to join my guests and I for some exclusive members-only episodes of the Go All In podcast. In these exclusive episodes, we go much deeper into the topics, and in the process, we uncover the fastest way for you to close the gap from where you are and get you to where you want to be. And we do this by helping you to master the art and the science of going all in. When you join, you'll also have access to the Ask Me Anything episodes and have the opportunity to be featured and to share your story on the Go All In podcast as well. Join today for just $15 per month to gain exclusive access to this world-class content produced just for you. Visit goallin.com.au and click on the tab that says exclusive content. I'll see you on the inside. Well, Trey, people come on over to the uh, Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, mate, could you please share with us one of the really, one of the standout stories that you learn a lesson from and, and tell us about what you learned from committing and to going all in on what it is that you needed to commit to? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to do that. Uh, so I run as part of our uh, family office, a business that my grandfather started in 1953. And so uh, I inherited that business from my dad. And my dad had always told me like, don't do what I do for a living, go do something else, go figure out, you know, and so I went to become a a lawyer. It was, he didn't care, lawyer, doctor, uh, a bread baker, anything but what I do, right? And and so what he was saying by saying that was, uh, don't uh, put yourself into a business where uh, you sort of get trapped into it and you can't go make additional choices. And then your clients are making choices for you. Mm. And that was the phase of life that he was in when he was giving me that advice. So I did exactly that. I went to law school, uh, came out of law school during the uh, first internet bubble, uh, got into some very highly placed positions simply because, um, you know, there just wasn't enough talent to go around. And so I was always sort of three steps behind the CEO and various businesses. I uh, was one of the first employees at WebMD, worked at a company called Earthlink, which is a national ISP here in the States, worked at AOL uh, as well. And uh, as I was taking that job at AOL, uh, I was moving house and my mom called and said, hey, your dad, we're in Vegas. We're having a, you know, a little uh, vacation, which I knew about. And uh, your dad's in the hospital. And, um, and so I said, oh my gosh, that's terrible. Let me know how it goes. Like, let me know what you need, but I'm, I'm loading up the moving truck. I'm moving to take this new job. And she said, no, you don't understand. Get in a plane or you won't get to say goodbye. 
Oh gosh! And so it was. It was totally. It was fifty-two years old. It was totally unexpected. Uh, really crazy uh, because of what's going on today. Uh, it was the SARS uh, early stage of the SARS virus. No way. In two thousand five, that oh. took him, and we had no idea the symptoms and that sort of thing. We nobody knew what they were doing with it back then. Not that they do much more now. So I had to come home. I had to take over uh, his business, his life that he had uh, that he had built, and my life was going starting to get really good. I was becoming good at what I was known for. Uh, those kinds of things. And I remember sitting uh, on, uh, it was February the 14th, 2005, Valentine's Day. And I was sitting there and I had come to the realization that no one in his company could take the company over. Oh, My brother worked in the company. He couldn't do it. Uh, my father's best friend was one of his uh, business partners. He couldn't run the company. And, and, and I had this dawning realization that I was the one that was going to have to run this company. And I, first of all, I had been told, don't do what I do for a living. And secondly, I didn't want to do it because I had my own life that was going, you know, sort of starting to get really good. But what I did it, it, when I decided, okay, I can't do this by taking half measures. So I either have to go all in or I have to stay all out. Mm. And so what I said to myself over a two day period of debating with myself was number one, my father never told me no. Any dream that I ever had, he sat and whispered behind me, you can do it. I'm going to help you make this happen right? That created in me a sense of obligation. It did not create in my dad a sense of, uh, of entitlement that he was, you know, that I should have to come in and do that. But, but man to man debating with himself and myself at that point, I said, I need to go all in and keep this thing that he had built together mm. and to keep the family safe, to keep our clients safe, to keep the people that worked with us safe, uh, safe enough to go and live their lives. And that was my go all in moment. Haven't looked back, haven't regretted it and have built a nice life because of it. Yeah. But that wasn't clear before I made that decision. How many staff did, did you take over? <laughs> At that point I had 19. Did you know None anything about ever <laughs> met me? No, oh. <laughs> no, I didn't know the business. I didn't know the people. Um, Gosh. There, there was some drama around that. I was just going to come in and sell it out from under them. And then I was going to leave. And so there were some trust issues around that because I had to have the business valued, Yeah, you know, and they were concerned about what that meant for them. Um, and I had to come in and form uh, friendships. I had to learn who, whose opinion to trust and who was self-serving. I had to do all, I had to become the CEO overnight, do an impeccable job mm. with no mistakes, and it is an impossible task. I couldn't, I could not have accomplished that. Yeah. And so uh, two, two years ago, I was at a conference. I met a, a fellow attendee, not even someone up on the stage. This person said to me, you know, our only moral imperative is to be the person we needed when we were younger. Mm. And that hit me like a, slug to the chest and i said to myself am i doing that am i working in my life in a way that i'm helping people who needed what what i needed when i when i was their age and and i could not come up with the answer it wasn't the volunteer work that i try to do it wasn't the management work i wasn't helping you know little trey become a ceo yeah and so that's why i wrote the book i wrote the book a ceo only does three things because i wanted it to be a job description, an instruction manual for somebody who had taken over the first chair uh, by an indirect path. Mm. And so that's what we've done and uh, getting good traction on it. And uh, it's uh, it's been a good fun ride so far. Yeah, hold that thought on the book. I want to do a whole segment on that. I want to just un pull on this thread of uh, this go all in thread here, because this is a, yeah. a hell of a story. And there's some lessons to be learned in that as well, especially I love how you describe those trust issues. Did you ever 
Did you ever think there for a moment that ah, maybe I could just sell this thing and just be done with it? I didn't. Um, it was a temptation maybe later in the business, but I knew I had to do something uh, for my dad. My dad had left one goal for that year. He mm. had said just before he passed to the entire crew, this is what we're going to achieve this year. And it was very important to me to say, uh, I'm going to get you there, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to allow myself to grieve this year, but we're going to get to that goal. And uh, I worked harder than I thought was humanly possible to work. <laughs> um, learning the business, learning the art form, and I messed up constantly, mm. right? Constantly. But that team woke up to the fact that I was trying they could see the struggle that I was having. I thought I was doing beautifully. Of course, they could look at me and say, oh, you know, he wasn't. Um, and, and, and that sort of sustained me through. And when I got to the end of the year, I thought this can be a remarkably rewarding place for me to, um, to, to self-actualize the man I want to become. And, uh, and I had won them over by that point, and they had definitely won my heart. They were worth the sacrifice. Yeah, no, it, it sounds like it was a, uh, a very humbling experience. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Leadership it's by itself is, it's, is humbling indeed, right? It is. Leaders eat last. You know, you hear a lot of truisms thrown around, a lot of cliches and that sort of thing. But they're not cliches when you're living them and learning them for the first time. Yeah, they're just uh, they're painful, absolutely painful yeah. lessons. I was reading a book recently called uh, "Personality Is Not Permanent," and it's about uh, it talks about. Have you read that book by any chance? No, I haven't, but it sounds awesome, and the title rings true already. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. It's about um, uh, how these people, these consultants come into organizations, and they run these DISC assessments, and they run yeah. all these personality profiling assessments and stuff. And I've been in and around that space a lot from a digital perspective and helping a lot of businesses and brands, so I know quite a bit about it. And I always thought it was just complete rubbish because your personality is not permanent your personality is not fixed i'm a different person today than i was last week two weeks ago two years ago 20 years ago i'm a different person because i really believe that your personality is driven by the goals that you have it's not the other way around you, you don't your personality doesn't determine your goals your goals determine how you behave to do something so it was a really it was a really eye-opening book for me because it was like somebody with a phd finally writing what i was thinking and he put all the words down on paper there which was really cool and I like what you thought, what you said about um, you were at that conference a couple of years ago and it hit you like a slug in the chest. You know, you've got to be that person for the younger people that they need. And in that book, Personality is Not Permanent, he talks about how to make decisions in and around your personality. And one of the biggest takeaways for me was if you fast forward 20 years into the future and you were looking back at yourself now about to make that major decision as the leader of your organization, as the leader of your team, would you be looking at that decision just going, ah, it's not, it's not a big deal, man. You know, what are you, what are you making such a, because with the benefit of 20 years more experience, nothing's really a problem, right? But when you're going through it at the time, you're going through it, it's like, oh my God, this is the worst thing in the whole wide world. And it really gave me some perspective that I hadn't had before. And it's kind of what you described there as well, where if you think about how much wiser you will be in 20 years and you make this, the decisions as if you were the 20 year older self today, imagine how much better your yeah. decisions will be. It's like a really, it's a really clever Absolutely. way of thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I love that uh, mental exercise. And one of my mentors used to walk me through exactly that. When I had a tough decision to make, his question was, uh, what would the 20, uh, 20 year older version of you mm. 
tell you is the best decision because we already know the answer to that. Mm. We just have to have that conversation with our older self. And uh, many times it's the harder of the two choices uh, near term, but the easier of the paths to follow over the long term. And, uh, and that's a useful exercise. I've used it. I haven't read that book. I have jotted it down now because I, I also have had that same uh, sort of thought. And I see people hire and fire based on personality. Mm. Um, I know that personality is malleable. I might be a different guy with you than I am with my wife. I hope I am with my wife, mm. you know, with my kids or something of that nature. I don't, uh, I don't command and control when I kick down the door to the house when I come in at the end of the day. You know, It's a different uh, requirement of my psychology. Uh, that is necessary. We all do that. And uh, I'm glad to hear that. I think uh, those tests can be useful, and I don't mean to say that they are, but they also can harden people in a concept of themselves and their own self-image that may be uh, skewed or, or not as objective as, as, as those tests are presented to be. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the problem with them, right, is the, the benefit of them, because there's always, everything's polarity, right? I, I don't think, you know, everything's bad. But the, the, the benefit of them is you get a snapshot of your personality right now as it relates to whatever goals that you've got right now. So it helps you to understand where you are in relation to where you're trying to get to now. For sure. Yeah. And that can help you to identify some gaps in what it is that you're yeah. trying to do. So that's very, very useful in that sense. But the crux of the entire book is exactly what you said. It's about not... Um, not being defined by a single personality test because if you did that test again next week and the week after and there was two or three different people administering that test you'll get two or three different results so there's nothing there that's fixed in there like that it's a really interesting stuff so we learn all of these things from books and these incredible things and i'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about what you've got in your book let's find out some more right after this a little break Love the title of your book, Trey. A CEO only does three things because that's about as many things as I can hold in my mind at the at the same time. You know, all jokes aside, I seriously can't concentrate onto too many more things than 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 two to three at the at the same time. Tell us about it. Yeah, so I wrote the title so that it would prompt the question. You know, what are those three things, right? Uh, and and my answer to that is uh, a CEO only does three things. Uh, because they are the only person in the organization who can do those three things. And those three things are, not to keep you in suspense, culture, people, and numbers. What I don't mean by saying that is that a CEO only does those three things and then he's done for the day. What I do mean is that he or she, of course, especially uh, now as we see lots more women founders, lots more women executives coming into it, what, what those people do is hold the entire vision on the culture, the people, and the numbers, they, they set the agenda. That's the job description for the CEO. It's the only position in the organization that doesn't have a job description. You never really know if you're hitting it or not. Uh, and those are the three things that I think that CEOs can do because of the perspective they have in the organization. They sit on the top, they, they can get all the information, and they can direct things out three, five, 10, 20 years And so that's why I challenge CEOs to work on those three things first in any given day and then work on all of the other monkeys that your staff is trying to put on your back all day long. All the little to-do lists that people are delegating upwards, you're still allowed to do those things, 
but let's work on culture, people, and numbers first. Uh, have you got them there in an order, or is that just just randomly there? Is is there any one that's more important than the other? There's not, and so uh, I don't necessarily care what uh, order we work on them with clients. Uh, so it really comes down to the assessment that we do to say, okay, there's a problem here, but we've got these two things working. But what I have found in in doing multiple engagements is it helps to start with the culture because that's a little bit depersonalized, mm. right? If you start working with the people, a CEO or an executive team will begin pointing out individuals who need to change. Uh, they will begin pointing out, if you start with numbers, results that need to change and should have been better, yeah. right? No one will ever blame their culture. Mm. And so I like to start with culture because we begin to see that whether you articulate a culture, which is what we love, or you don't articulate a culture and you find that you have one anyway, uh, wh- wherever we're starting from, there's always culture work to be done at, at, as foundational work then we can work on people and then we can work on numbers. So that seems a natural flow. But again, you know, walking into any engagement, we, we work where the work needs to be done. Yeah, I love it because you, the thing I like about it a lot is that it's applicable to all size businesses. It doesn't matter if you're a, a small tradey type business with you know half a dozen people or you're a, a, a medium sized business with 50 people or a large company with a thousand. It kind of fits the remit of all of those things. And it's hard to create universal rules and universal things that fit across the spectrum like that is that something that you've had as as a as a coach as an author as a speaker for a long time and you just kind of like yeah this is kind of how it is that's how it should be yeah so there uh, you know i'm a venture capitalist uh, by training so i spent a good a good deal of my time in venture capital part of my job with our family office is that i handle all of the venture investments and the angel investments and early stage stuff that we do there's a famous uh, venture capitalist his name is fred wilson he he founded two venture capital firms but uh union square ventures is the latest one he's super gifted like he's the guy that you know, he heard about Uber and ran over to give them their first check. Yeah, right. You know, it was that kind of thing. Yeah. He's that smart to see Uber so far in advance. Um, and uh, so he said, uh, he, he tells his story where he was sitting in a boardroom with a, with a fellow board member and they had just come to realize they had to fire the CEO of the company that they had invested in. And they didn't want to, and nobody ever does, but they had to take that. Uh, and, and the problem with, was not with firing the guy. The problem is how do we replace him? Mm. What is the skill set? And so the old older fellow there in the room, a former uh, army guy, turned to him and say, you know, uh, the CEO's job is to, and then he articulated out what I have, uh, you know, diminished into culture people numbers. And Fred Wilson said, now I get it. And he immediately became known as one of the great sort of recruiters of CEOs in the venture capital space. So I am privileged to steal it from Fred. Um, I keep reaching out to him by email and haven't got anything back. So last week I sent him a copy of the book. So we'll see if that, uh, if that works. I'll see if I can invite him on this podcast and then I'll yeah, get you one and we'll do go. a three-way interview with him. <laughs> yeah, we'll ambush him. I like it. <laughs> Good stuff. Tell me when you're, when you're writing a book in the last, uh, for me on, on my side here in the last, probably since Christmas, since the, we had a bit of downtime, right? I, I've been writing a whole bunch of solo podcast, which has been, Something I've been meaning to do for a long time is to record more solo shows because they have some, surprisingly, they have some of the the largest download numbers for me. Not that that really means anything as a podcaster, but if more people are downloading it, it means that more people are sharing it than the the interviews and whatnot. And I'm kind of humbled by that because people are like wanting to know more about my opinions. But I know when I sit down to write something, 
And it's not like writing a book. It's no real comparison. But I always learn something about myself. Like I, I have these topics in my mind. Like I have these headlines and these subheadings and the two or three points under this subheading. And then I write another subheading and there's two or three points. And I'm excited to kind of sit down and do it. And I sit there and it just kind of boom, just flows out of me. And the other day I'd written like, 15 pages on a Google Doc and I looked up and I'm like, oh man, I've been at this for like 90 minutes. I better go and have a little little break. And I came back and I was reading it and I was editing it and I thought, that's actually really good. That was really good. I was like really proud of myself. Tell me about your process and what it was like for you doing that. Was it easy? Was it fun? Or was it just a, a sometimes writing a book can be a real slog? Yeah, it was really relatively uh, this, the same process. I bought uh, three notebooks because I knew I had three points to make. I didn't know that they were culture people numbers, but I sort of knew that I had three points to make because, again, I could remember three things. <laughs> and I figured if I was going to coach other people, then that's what they should remember as well. I did have the benefit of putting this into a hosted course that I would do uh, for some clients. And so I had been through the running of the course and the ability to sort of think on my feet and, and, and do that. The challenge in the book, as you know, in, in just the writing that you're, you're talking about there is not showing the entire ocean, mm. but boiling it down to something that someone can, can take use out of. And that's the, the very strong art of writing. I, I never fancied myself a writer to begin with. I didn't mind it, but I didn't think of that as my, my end game. But now the respect that I have for people who can take and synthesize ideas and boil them down to something that I can understand just from words on a page, uh, immense respect for that process. So I did everything wrong you could do. Yeah. I filled out my, my books. I hired um, not a ghostwriter, but an interviewer, mm. you know, who would call me and interview me and then send me transcripts and I would try to edit it. it, it at the end of the day, I had to throw all of that away. I had to open a Google Doc mm. and I had to get down on paper what I thought was important enough and I sort of said to myself, do this as if you're writing a letter to that younger version of yourself like we talked about before. Mm. And, and was it therapeutic? Was it, did it feel good on conclusion to get it out? You're like, it's out, it's out of my mind, it's out of my body. You're like, no, I got more in me. I, I, yeah, I wish, I think that's the movies and what happens in the movies. You know, you, you see the guy and he, he taps the last thing on the typewriter, <laughs> tears the page and he's done. And then you presses know, the record like, button on his podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I, um, I hired a, uh, well, the publisher hired, uh, you know, an editor team for me and that sort of thing. And so after I gave them what I had and I thought it was, you know, it's fine. It's probably 85% there. Then they really go beating you up and they, and they challenge you to say, look, we get the point that you're making here. You can make it in a better way. Mm. And so you have to, you know, really sort of slaughter the baby over and over again till you tightening it up and making it less flabby and, 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 and more expressive and that sort of thing. So eventually the editor called me for a weekly call or something. I said, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to talk about this book anymore. I don't want to look at another <laughs> sentence in this book. You change whatever you think needs to be changed. She says, good. Now you're ready to publish. Ah, right? That's she, how they know. Yeah, they they yeah. beat you up until you throw your hands up. That's how they know. <laughs> so I, I wish I could say it was this wonderfully spiritual process where I, where I grew into a great uh, blessing of a human being. No, it was a real slog for me. I know that some people have that uh, experience. It was a real slog uh, for me. Um, you know, I'm an attorney by training. And so we aren't uh, necessarily taught to write in a way that is readable mm. by the average public. And so I, I was very conscious of that. To, it was very hard for me to introduce an authentic voice and still sound serious enough. And so I, I think I overthought quite a bit of that. 
but uh, but I really wanted it to be a readable sort of colloquial book. Yeah. And uh, that's what I, I gave myself the biggest trouble on. And then I don't know, you can see my whiteboard behind me here, but it's full of notes for additional books that, the, you know, maybe I can write in the future as well. Because once you get one done, you go, oh, I can't remember any of the bad stuff. It was all good. <laughs> Your body doesn't remember the pain, right? That's what it is. <laughs> that's <laughs> nice, right. Nice stuff. Nice stuff. Hey, uh, I got some leadership questions here for you from CEO type okay. questions that I, I penciled here. Trey, why is it's a big one? Ready? I'm going to start with the biggest one I got. Yeah, I'm, I'm nervous here. Why is why is leadership so hard? Uh, leadership, I think, is hard for for those who it is hard for. Right. So we do know natural born leaders. We we do know that um, leadership exists in our self image completely. So I think we're created in three different um, expressions, three different dimensions, an intellectual dimension, an emotional dimension, and an identity-based dimension. And when we get those three things acting in concert with each other, when they are congruent, right, that's when we're at our most effective uh, you hear people who speak about it in terms of chakra alignment, mm. you know, in the spiritual way. You hear uh, business gurus and coaches talk about flow state, mm. right? And and uh, and neuroscientists will talk about that as, as well as that state of flow. Um, in the identity dimension of ourselves, we hold a picture of ourselves uh, called the self-image. Uh, Dr. Maxwell Maltz uh, in the 40s and 50s and 60s, you know, wrote about this kind of thing. And uh, one of his uh, protégés was my mentor, Ron Willingham, who we lost last year. Um, And this is what Ron taught all the time. If you have a picture of yourself as a leader, the actions that leaders take are more natural to you. Mm. The challenge that makes leadership so hard, number one, is do we have that fully developed picture of ourselves? And my answer is most of us do not. We work on that our entire lives, right? That's the first thing that makes it hard is that we have to build that self-image. Secondly, we have to convince other people that that self-image is legitimate and is not in battle with their own self-image. And we have to convince people, persuade or force or whatever it happens to be, to achieve things together uh, in a team with shared values. And there is work to that. And again, Hollywood or your mom saying you've got a great head on your shoulders and you can do that. You know, those are not the true leadership is hard work. Human relationship is always work. Mm. Uh, it is the application of uh, effort to achieve a goal, right? That's work. And, uh, and we are taught that it should be effortlessly and you're just born with it and that sort of thing. I think that's what makes leadership uh, a difficult quantity. Yeah, I, I, gosh, I would agree. The, the reason I ask that is, I was sort of thinking of a couple of quick questions I could ask you here on the podcast. And I thought back to when I had my business and we first, when my first business that is, when I first got out of the army and had about 30 staff within a couple of months. And I remember they had to be at this warehouse. I needed about 20 of them to be at this warehouse at six o'clock in the morning because the client needed us to start. And I hadn't, I hadn't had to do that before with these people. And to me, it wasn't wasn't a big deal, right? I was in the army. I was used to being at work at five o'clock in the morning, standing on parade, right, waiting around for three hours to do nothing. That's just kind of what you do as part of being in the military. And all of these people turned up, and they were all kind of milling around. And I came out, and I thought to myself, "Look at that! I, I wish I wish I had have listened or paid more attention to the leadership that I had when I was in the military." 
And because that's where I'd come from and I'd spent 10 years there and it's really all I knew, I didn't know anything about leadership. And, you know, besides the courses that I'd done in the army and stuff like that, which are really good and they're, they're in context for what it is that you do, but do they fit in the civilian world? This sort of, in some ways they do. And I, I remember thinking to myself, this is hard. Leadership is hard. Leading these, leading just a, a three quarters of a platoon of people here is really, really hard. And I'm going to have to do something to level up my game to actually be effective with these folks because it's one thing to have a relationship with them and it's another thing to coddle them and it's another thing to be the boss and you know whip them into submission to get them to do what they need yeah. them to do but if i lead and i learn to lead and i learn to be the example and be respected then they're going to step up for me and i'm not going to have to do those things so for me that was that was a really big lesson and your response there is like damn, I wish I had known that like 20 years ago. <laughs> That's exactly what I said when I met Ron and he walked me through that model. And that model changed uh, every human relationship that I have. Mm. So I don't parent uh, my kids on an intellectual level or, or thank God, even on a just purely emotional level. I try to parent, this is a, a, an aspiration of mine. I try to parent them uh, on that I am level, mm. on that definitional, that identity-based level. Uh, and so, you know, uh, if I give my son a, a present, I want it to, to be a present that increases his self-image, that this is, you know, this is something that I am now that I wasn't before. Mm. And then hopefully that never leaves him the rest of his life, you know, and they, my kids are very confident and very, uh, you know, low anxiety kids and that kind of thing. And I think it's because of that. Same way in my management practice, I manage people. I try to manage people from a whole person level, understanding and respecting that they have thoughts of their own, that they have feelings that interfere with those thoughts mm. the same way it does inside of myself and that they have pictures of themselves that may or may not accord with the picture I have of them. Very often, um, you know, the love of management, the skill of management is saying to someone, here's what I see inside of you that you may not see inside of yourself. And I'm calling it out. I'm evoking that from you mm. so that you live this larger vision truer vision more authentic vision of yourself yeah that's beautifully beautifully articulated okay the next one i've got uh next question i've got for you in this last part of this segment is what is it that and you might not be able to answer it but you you probably you might be able to unpick it because it's hard to answer a something that's universal but i'm gonna i'm gonna try and, and maybe give it a go do you know what it is that makes a good ceo and i understand that it's not one particular thing there's, there's always a series of things that go into making up something that's really good or something that's really bad but is there a common set of traits that bring together somebody who is a good ceo is it communication is it relationships is it uh, their own self-awareness and understanding who they are in the world or is it a collection of those things or is it something completely different I don't know that I know the answer to that I think every person would have a, a different answer I'll tell you the CEOs that I observe uh, that are clients of mine or that I've been around. I use my dad as an example, you know, all of these folks that I've been able to observe. And it is the idea of love, but it's not the idea of this sort of agape love where I hug you every day and, and cry down your shoulder. And, you know, <clears throat> it's love as a verb, mm. right? It's love in the active sense of uh, there is something about you that is trying to be true and my job in the role as CEO is helping you make that true. That can be in the form of a client who's trying to buy a service from you. 
It could be in the form of people that work for you. It could be in the form of the organization itself, that you are loving it into being. Um, the, the whole concept uh, really implies lack of ego, right? And self-confidence in a way that lets someone else grow up and take a bit of the spotlight where it doesn't feel threatening to you. So I don't know that that's a universal definition that works for everybody, but every time I sort of remember that, catch myself too late, and then remember that and apply that love is a verb, go do a loving act for someone, uh, it, tur my, it turns out better for them, for me, and I have a better night's sleep th that night. Yeah, it's a... Uh... That's a. It's actually a really beautiful sentiment that you've you've got there, because what you're talking about is being selfless, and the hardest thing in leadership is to be selfless. Leaders eat last, and all all that sort of stuff. That's selfless, but love is the ultimate act of of selflessness there, and uh, that's that's great advice. I love it. Well done. Well, Trey, it's been an absolute pleasure to host you here on the Goal In podcast. I wanted to ask you an, an unannounced question because I think you do really well on my other podcast called The Electrician's Co-op. Uh, and so we've got another show where we we uh, uh, we talk about these types of issues as it relates to small business and to leadership there. Is that something you'd be interested in coming in and doing? You'd like to do another yeah. show with me? Of course, Rob. I love to hear myself talk. Please. <laughs> I think you got some valuable insights there that these uh, tradies would certainly get something from. And particularly the, the tradies, we work with a lot of guys who are sort of around that half dozen mark in their staff. So they've got yeah. five, six five, six people, and they're starting to come off the tools. They're starting to pull back from that. And it's like, that that's me with those 20 people on parade me going oh my god i'm gonna to have to learn how to lead so these guys are at that point to learn how to lead and i think your insights would be really valuable and maybe we can sell some copies of your book in the process oh good i love that of course these are actually the groups that i absolutely love working with because they're the groups where you can get the inflection point in because most of the time they're so busy with the to-do list of getting the work done that they don't have time yeah. to step back and sort of work on the business as a whole so yeah absolutely love to do that good stuff good stuff well mate again thank you again for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure to host you here if people want to connect with you what's the best way to do that uh, so my website uh, for consulting and uh, just getting in touch in general is uh, trinity-blue.com. I uh, love to have anybody uh, reach out to me there. You can find me on LinkedIn as well, of course. Uh, and then the book, of course, is in uh, Amazon. And uh, a CEO only does three things. Beautiful. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this on your podcast, on a podcast, just take a little peek at your phone and all of the links to Trey's website. His socials and the book are right there, so you won't have to go digging around for them. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, just scroll on down and the links are right there in the show notes. Mate, thanks again for coming on. I wanted to give you the opportunity for the parting comment, the final piece of CEO wisdom. What have you got for us, Trey? You know, I think the biggest power question that CEOs can ask is, what would you do in my situation? If you ask your people that when they come to you with problems, they will solve their own problems and make your job a lot easier. Man, that's, that might be the best bit of advice I've heard in years. <laughs> I absolutely love that. I'm going to borrow that one. Thanks again for coming yeah, on, mate. We look forward to Thanks, speaking Rob. with Thanks you soon. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it.
have it, folks. If you want to connect with today's guests, just take a little peek at your phone and all of the links to their website and socials are right there so you won't have to go poking around in Google for them. Now, if you like what you heard on today's podcast, then I'd like to invite you to check out our exclusive members-only content. My guests and I go much deeper into the art and science of going all in, and in the process, we shortcut your path to the success that you desire. Find out more by visiting goallin.com.au forward slash exclusive. Don't forget that you can also get your free copy of my best-selling masterclass as well. All you need to do is to head over to goallin.com.au forward slash referral to find out some more. It's as simple as subscribing, sharing, and leaving a review for this podcast. Once you do that, the details to access the masterclass will be emailed to you. It's worth $149, so head on over to goallin.com forward slash referral to get yours today. Now, if you've got some feedback or a message for the show, you can reach out to me via the Go All In socials, send me an email, or you can use the Ask Me Anything form at goallin.com.au forward slash exclusive. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. So whatever it is that you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it, and go all in. I'll see you next time. wrong or right feel nothing when you go i know it's not intelligent drinking for the hell of it but that's irrelevant now we should talk about us how come we're holding on because really i don't see the benefits now and you've broken my trust so i just wonder why do i fall back to you really nothing i can do about it why do i fall back to you it's like you're a drug to me Still 22, trying something new, just a pastime I don't think that we ever could work this out None of it makes sense, there's no reason why Why I still fall back to you? Difficult, but it will take a